Welcome one and all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here, and we're starting the show this week with some more absolutely depressing news. By the time you're listening to this, things might have changed. It may have been official, but uh, last night, of course, as you all know, there was a draft opinion by the U.S. Supreme Court that was leaked, suggesting that the landmark Roe v. Wade case will be overturned. Of course, this is the decision that allowed for legal abortions in the United States. And this has really been the conservative project in the United States. And as we're going to talk about today, Christo, in Canada, in many ways, for decades. And one of the, I think, perhaps most depressing things, there's a lot of depressing things that were going on today, but one of the more depressing outlooks was the feeling that, you know, a lot of Americans that are, are, are having to deal with this new reality are suggesting, you know, maybe it's not that bad in Canada. Only, of course, to hear that, wait a second, abortion is not this enshrined, guaranteed thing that's available to every income level here either. And it's actually quite, quite complicated. So I don't know if we want to get into that first, but it's just it is a absolutely depressing day when we have hits like this that just that hit you to your core, you know, that, that are things that affect humanity in, in ways that I, I did not expect that this would happen, despite everyone, you know, <laughs> that was blue saying, oh, of course not, it won't, you know, we we control all forms of government, this this isn't going to happen. Uh, I think I should say, first of all, that a lot of the reason this has happened is that uh, white men have been the ones talking about that, and of course today it is just me and Christo talking about it, and we, we of course, recognize we, we that. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. Well, we'll, we'll, <laughs> in a lot of our sources, we're, we're trying to center the voices of women, and in Absolutely. particular, women from various perspectives. Uh, because for lack, like, 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 I'm not an expert on the history of abortion or on the U.S. Supreme Court, but in essence, what happened last night was, uh, and this seems to be something that hasn't happened in modern history. There was an entire draft uh, majority opinion leaked. Mm -hmm. uh, now, this wasn't necessarily the final opinion. One, votes could change and, and far more likely, like individual arguments within the broader case could change but you know when when a supreme court decision is made what often happens is the majority writes an opinion and that's usually written by somebody in that majority of the of the justices so this it would be likely a 5-4 majority where the five most conservative judges vote to overturn roe v wade the sixth judge who is a conservative but appointed by bush uh, Junior, uh, that's Roberts, the Chief Justice. Uh, a lot of indications. There was another leak, not of his of his report, but of of his opinion. That was that he would not support a total ban on Roe, but would support a partial abortion ban uh, mm -hmm. or a partial uh, rev revocation of Roe that would still preserve certain exceptions. Uh, and then the three the the three uh, liberal judges. Uh, and so uh, this report basically argues that Roe v. Wade is not protected. It was a wrong decision by the court in the 1970s. And then a kind of a follow-up case, Casey, in the 1990s was also wrong. Uh, and they are just removing it, which doesn't necessarily ban abortion in the United States. But what it does do is it gives every individual state a choice in what they do with regard to abortion. So as it is right now, 
pretty much everywhere. And there are still a lot of restrictions. There's still a lot of bullshit. Uh, in many places, uh, women don't have an effective right to choose, even under Roe. We should just lay that out. Mm -hmm. But you can't formally ban abortion in the first trimester anywhere in the United States. You can restrict access through a bunch of bullshit, but you can't ban it. Now, it is hypothetically the case that any or all states could entirely ban abortion mm -hmm. with no exception. No exception based on time, based on the consensuality of the sex, based on the age of the uh, uh, person involved, uh, based on uh, the health of the fetus, the viability of the fetus, and even critically, based on the survivability of the person who could be giving birth. Wow. And so in essence... It, you know, not all states are going to do that. Some states might just ban abortion, giving exceptions for rape, incest, all of that. But it is possible, and some states will do this, that they will um, fully ban abortion. Uh, ectopic pregnancies, you know, where, where you know, the, uh, the uh, you know, you get pregnant and then the egg doesn't go into the actual uterus, but kind of implants on one of the, uh, the, the tubes that, you know. I'm not, I'm really not a an anatomist, but you're not a doctor, tube. No, I I'm a doctor, but I'm not a doctor. Yes, yes, um, of course. Yeah, but but you know, and, and it's basically a death, like it's a death sentence, right? No, like women no. died for that for for a long time until you know we learned how to detect it, and you know, under even uh, under Roe v. Wade, for instance, you would have that protected. Under this new system, it really depends. Yeah, a state might say. Ectopic pregnancies are still real pregnancies, and an abortion is a crime. It is illegal, whatever the penalties might be. Yeah. And as it is right now, a lot of states are basically locked and loaded to start banning abortion rights because a mm -hmm. lot of states have laws on their books that are either older laws that will come back into effect, uh, you know, if Roe is is if Roe is overturned. And that's looking to be the case with this decision, although it should be said it's not a guarantee. And then there are other states that have specifically passed laws that will come into effect when Roe is determined. So some states even, I think Missouri passed a law two or three years ago that effectively bans abortion in most cases, uh, fully acknowledging that the law is unconstitutional, but sort of sitting in the, in the, you know, in the criminal code, the legislative book, ready for the day where Roe v. Wade Man. gets overturned and, if it and ever happens. And they may have that. And I think it needs to be said here, too, and it's been said by so many loud and correct voices today, that abortion is always legal for those that have the means. Yeah. So even in these states that you're referring to after this passes, there will still be people that are of means that have been doing it as it has slowly been more criminalized in the American South that have gotten abortions that will still. But as this changes, you know, it really is, as those have said, an attack on women, absolutely, as yeah. an entity, it's but an then also a class all, warfare all women issue. And all, all people who can give birth, you know, we try to, you know, yes, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, but it, 100%. But the class dimension here is crucial. And, and, and critically, as it is right now, in many cases, in some parts of the South, they only have like one or two clinics in the entire state. Yeah. And the state's really big. 
And so you might be five, six hours away from being able to get this procedure. So again, without even a ban necessarily, a lot of poor women, a lot of marginalized women, women that live in isolated communities. I've, I've heard uh, both, in, and this we'll get to this in Canada, but women in indigenous communities that don't happen to live urbanly are often really affected because they, they don't have a hospital in their community or the hospital in their community or clinics in their community do not provide this type of healthcare. And we should just underline that abortion is health care right like it's mm -hmm. a it's a health care provision every bit as legitimate as any other it's like heart you know? surgery and as some yeah, yeah exactly just... <laughs> right uh, except it's far more routine yeah <laughs> if, you know than, than 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 heart surgery um but that's where we're at right now mm -hmm. so again a couple caveats the decision isn't necessarily final although i wouldn't get the hopes up that there's going to be this 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 pull away. Now there's a lot of debates about why it was leaked, who leaked it. We're not going to get into that. But in essence, what will likely happen is that sometime in June, people are thinking, maybe July, it depends, the Supreme Court will announce this decision. Uh, and you'll see a report from Alito probably with changes from what's currently available um, and likely getting five votes. Uh, Alito, uh, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Tony Barrett and Clarence Thomas mm -hmm. uh, and maybe Roberts, but I think Roberts will write a, uh, a, a, a solo dissent. You'll see a dissent from the three liberals and then one from Roberts would be my prediction where he yeah. says I can support a partial ban on uh, or the partial killing of Roe, but not a total one, because I think that it's not unreasonable to remove baseline protections around you yeah, know, and, viability and, and things like that. Their reasoning for it, too. And again, I'm not a legal scholar, but it is interesting to hear a lot of the blowback yeah. of this decision was based on this notion of it not making specific mention in the Constitution. Yeah. And a lot of people have, have yeah. pointed out if that is the framework in which the U.S. Supreme Court will decide which laws can and cannot be, that means like black rights, LGBT rights, just general yeah. women's rights well, could be pushed away in the same sort of sweeping notion because there is this idea if this, you know, because it does become precedent, who knows what that would mean. But like, it's just, I yeah. don't, that seems to be the reasoning, right? Uh, from what people have been able to discern from this leaked uh, piece of document. Yeah, so we should be clear that like, to some degree that that's been that's been heard uh but we're not exactly clear uh mark joseph stern who is somebody i follow a lot he's a writer at slate which is a u.s publication and he kind of follows one his beat is is the courts the supreme court in particular and he put out a really good uh outline of this decision and what it what what should be said is that the biggest thing at risk right now is the right of gay people. Mm. It's not the only one, but you know, he says here, um, Alito's draft opinion overturning Rowan Casey approvingly cites Clarence Thomas's debunk claimed it goes into black eugenics and all of that. Alito's draft opinion explicitly criticizes Lawrence versus Texas 
legalizing sodomy and Oberfell versus Hodges legalizing same-sex marriage. He says that yeah. like abortion, these decisions protect phony rights that are not quote-unquote deeply rooted in history. So it's a mixture of what's written in the documents explicitly, but also what is historical. And the argument from at least Alito, and again, he's got people that are going to agree with him, is that these are phony rights because the right to marriage is rooted in religion and a tradition, but gay right, gay marriage is like a phony modern creation, and mm. it can be allowed, but it's not a constitutional right. Individual states or the federal government could pass a law legalizing it, but it's not fundamental to humanity and they're making a similar argument with abortion which is basically him signaling i think and a lot of people have mentioned this signaling to a say a, a red state to try and ban gay marriage so what would likely happen would be step one this decision gets put out and he makes this argument but even without making it now people have been given the idea through his draft a state like texas could say just stop giving out marriage certificates to gay couples mm -hmm. they just stop issuing them and of course, that would be a violation of the law and a violation of the 2015 decision that legalized gay marriage. And then that would get appealed up the courts and eventually find its way to the Supreme Court, where presumably, although I think with that one, you might actually lose the uh, case could could conceivably be about uh, could conceivably end with the banning of gay marriage, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the end of gay marriage like that could happen. Uh, that, that one might be trickier. I could see. I don't think Roberts would support that, given that I think in 2015 he was one of the, the conservatives that actually sided with the liberals to make that happen. And I wonder, uh, because Gorsuch made a, a, a decent decision on a gender identity issue last year, year before mm -hmm. or so. So that one I'm not as sure of. But that's where Alito is looking, right? Now, some other things he sort of said is that some of the things he's not targeting, like he specifically says... You know, we're not going after certain things. Alito says, I promise we're not jeopardizing the cases on which Roe and Casey rely because they are in opposite. Here he's talking about loving, which is interracial marriage, contraception with his Griswold, sterilization, which is Skinner, and raising children with his Pierce. Those are safe. That's what he's saying. But let's be really clear. That's like, they could just be fucking lying, right? Like this, they could it, all be it, fucking lying. It seems like a, a super villain outlying yeah. his like plans, right? Like it yeah. is insane. Like, let's just yeah. take a step back for a second to realize how insane it is that this institution, and I think we might've talked about it here, at least, yeah. you know, you know that from us, that this institution even exists in the way that it does now. But I, I want to point out something that it, just as you're talking about this, it makes me feel really icky about the Canadian neoliberals in this country. It's the yeah. idea that that same sort of argumentation, like how many times have you, Christo, tried to talk about the need for sweeping changes to health, our healthcare system, but have gotten responses from maybe very highly acclaimed, you know, liberal journalists saying, well, no, you don't understand. It's actually a provincial thing. So it can't yeah, be yeah. like that. Like the, the, it's happened. The mirroring from that type of way of thinking to this, which I think a lot of them might even say, you know, it's horrifying, you know, it's horrible that Alita would do this. It's destroying the very fabric of, you know, uh, human rights. It's, it's wrong, but they still don't see that they're following the same sort of logical inferences that are leading to these horrible things happening. And I'm just like, it, it's, it's shocking to hear. And yeah, I don't know. Do you think those people just don't get it or they just don't see themselves as the baddies? 
<laughs> I mean, I think, well, the, I mean, definitely they don't see themselves as yeah. the baddies, but this is particularly bad. Yeah. We don't necessarily have an analog in Canada. Yeah, um, I don't know the name of any of the yeah. Canadian Supreme Court justice. Like, I have no idea. I know a couple, like who the they Rosalie are. Rosalie Hassani is. Yeah, yeah. But like, but yeah. I, but I've like, known I mean, all I've of the you... U.S. ones almost my entire adult life, which yeah. might yeah. tell you something, right? Yeah. Part of that is you know Canadians know so much about American politics, <laughs> blah blah blah. But but I mean, yeah, it's because they're they're the most impactful people besides maybe the sitting president. They have more power than almost anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they they have so much influence. Uh, and they are there for life or for as long as they want to be, basically. Um, they are there. What's what's crazy about this is there's a couple things one, about the legitimacy of this. And I'm going to say, like, and I'm not trying to, to argue that's the case in this case. Um, the Supreme Court shouldn't just go by polling. Like, the Supreme Court should make decisions based on a good faith interpretation of the law, blah, blah, blah. Because, let's be real, um, the Supreme Court has made unpopular decisions that were the correct one in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And they've made popular decisions that were incorrect um and so just because this decision is both incorrect and unpopular doesn't mean that you know the the popularity is the main legal argument but uh while there are a lot of americans that don't support abortion 70 percent of americans support roe v wade Mm -hmm. which is to say they support it in the sense that it gives um, a basic right to abortion in the first trimester, but they maybe support some restrictions and they maybe don't support abortions after the first trimester. They don't, you know what I mean? All of those things. Mm-hmm. There's broad con- consensus for support of Roe v. Wade. And so I know the court doesn't vote on popularity. They're not politicians, at least hypothetically they're not. They're, they're jurists and they should make a decision based on the interpretation of the law. But they made a decision that goes clearly against public opinion. Two, all three of Trump's judges are dirty, rotten, fucking liars. Uh, All three of them were asked this question during their confirmation hearings. Right? Now, of course, there's wiggle room. Like, for instance, I don't think any of them are going to get charged for perjury. But, like, you know, they were all asked this at least once during their hearings. And there's a quote here on on, on Twitter saying, It's settled as precedent of the Supreme Court, Kavanaugh said. It's one of the important things to keep in mind about Roe v. Wade is that it's been reaffirmed many times, which it has. He looks poised to vote against it. He didn't necessarily say he was going to never vote against it there. But what he seems to be implying, at least, is it's case closed. Of course it said Roe v. Wade Sorry, just a, a quick interruption. That sounds a lot like what we're hearing from conservative politicians right now in Canada. Yeah, so that's is. a little it very much Continue, is. sorry. Yeah. Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. Gorsuch answers, I accept the law of the land, Senator. Yes, of course, that one is more we- weaselly because once he's on the court, he can change the law of the land and then Ugh. he will still accept it. And then Amy Coney Barrett said, judges can't wake up one day and say, I have an agenda. I like guns. I hate guns. I like abortion. I hate abortion. And walk in like a royal queen and impose their will on the world. It's not the law of our Amy. It's the law of the American people. Um, and she fucking like they, they, that's like, what, the that's fuck, what they did. Man. Now, what's critical here is that since 1988, uh, if you look 1988, really since 1989, 1988 was the last election. Uh, uh, since 1988, the uh, the Republicans have only won the popular vote twice. So put it that way, in 88, they did. They won 53.4% of the vote. Then in 92, 
Clinton won the popular vote. There was a big, there was a, uh, you know, a big, uh, Ross Perot ran, but but he won the popular vote. He got 43% in that election, but the Republican only got 37. In 96, he beat the Republican by like nine. In 2000, as we know, Gore won the popular vote. Mm-hmm. In 2004, again, this is the only time in the post-Cold War era that a Republican has won the popular vote. When Bush won... 50.7 to 48.3. And as we know, 2008, 2012, 2016, and 2020, the Democrats won the popular vote each and every time. Meaning that eight of the nine judges on the court are like, you know, I think, what was it? Uh, or all, all, five of the six conservatives were appointed to the court <laughs> with, um, uh, <laughs> or, or sorry, Ilhan Omar says here, since 1988, really since 89, since uh, Republicans have only won the popular vote one time, but have selected six of the nine last justices, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that is luck of the draw with the Supreme Court. Like, that's just that's just the game. Sometimes you get lucky. Biden, for instance, has been, has had more justices on lower courts than any president through his first year in all of American history. So Biden got lucky. A lot of judges were retiring. A lot of spots opened up, right? Like, that's just luck of the draw, right? Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, a lot of this has to do with the fact that at least a few of these judges were appointed under presidencies that did not win the popular vote. And critically, especially in recent years, the Senate, which confirms these picks, often has the case where the Republican senators represent far less than half the population. Like the 50 Democratic senators represent dozens of millions of more people than the 50 Republican senators in the, you know, the tied 50-50 Senate. So I don't want to drone on about this too long. But this is a decision that strikes at the legitimacy of the court. It's not simply the leak that's the legitimacy crisis. It's the fact that this decision uh, goes against what judges said they would do uh, months, if not you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, most Americans don't support this. And uh, at least uh, four or five of the conservative judges currently on the court uh, were appointed under a president that did not have the popular vote yeah. backing him. Wow. So it, it it's just when you paint it like that, <laughs> it's hard to have hope yeah. in our democratic system. And another thing that really pushes the envelope in terms of just having any sort of hope for the, the structures that are in place is, and I know you've seen it today, a lot of the messaging that, you know, this is why it's important to vote. And Crystal, can you explain why even as the Democrats seem to run and own almost everything at this moment in time, that it didn't really seem to matter that people voted for them on that. Like you just kind of explained it there, but I still don't understand why that is being pushed as the be all and end all when these high dukes and high clerics can make these decisions that fundamentally destroy the lives of what most people wish would not happen. Like I just, is it just like, is it brain worms eating people away or is it almost manufactured? It feels like I just, I'm, I'm having a hard time with it, man. I don't know. You know, the j- just vote thing, you know, I- I don't know. And a lot of this is like, a lot of this is really disingenuous too, right? Like a lot of Democrats, look, a lot of Democrats are pissed and rightfully so. I've been critical of Liz Warren, uh, you know, at times. 
Uh, but like Liz Warren, uh, you know, uh, was fucking pissed today, yeah, she's and great, rightfully honestly. so. Yeah. Um, you know, Katie Porter, AOC, Bernie Sanders, Ilhan Omar. A lot of people really care. They really do. Um, but then you have people like Nancy Pelosi, uh, who uh, is supporting Henry Quaylar, who is a uh, Democrat, who is an anti-choice Democrat, and she, she is still supporting him in a primary that's happening in Texas in a few weeks against a young woman who is pro-choice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just uh, it, it, the, the, the cognitive dissonance, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what you do because you can't not vote. Like, look, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, but like, I get like a lot of people who maybe agree with us are like, they're really mad at the just vote types and, and rightfully so because voting seems to fail more often than not at actually getting things done. But like, there's a reason why rich people always vote. <laughs> there's a reason why yeah. the one percenters have the highest turnout. If voting truly was worthless, rich people wouldn't bother voting. There wouldn't be gerrymandering, right? If it didn't exactly. matter. Exactly. In the United States in particular, in because you know in Canada we we don't really have gerrymandering. We had mm-hmm. some elections Canada issues last election, of course, but there's no gerrymandering and things like that. But in the US, there's massive voter suppression, there's rigging it through gerrymanders, all of that. If the elections didn't matter, then why is every why do the Republicans fight so hard to stop certain people, largely the racialized and the young, from voting? Why do they do that? It's because at least partially, if only in a woefully insufficient way, voting does matter. Because mm-hmm. again, if voting didn't matter, the rich wouldn't put money into politics. If voting didn't like in elections, they would just buy the politicians after. But we see rich people spend tons of money during elections. If elections didn't matter, why would the rich do that? Yeah. Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so I think there's a certain kind of like a historic and anti intellectual anti voting bent within some of the left um, that, like, I don't know, because they're right in, in, to a large degree, but the actions of our enemies tell mm. us that voting matters. The it, actions of our enemies yeah. tell us. It's that hard is not to have that response, though, man, after what is yeah, happening today. Like, it's 100%. hard not to, to 100%. dive in. But again, you know, you know um, if voting didn't matter, yeah. then they wouldn't be rigging it so hard. They uh, wouldn't well, be doing it. So, What are your thoughts I mean, on, like, th- the general strike idea? Because I know we've this has been brought up almost any time yeah. there's been a major catastrophe that's done by the establishment against the people that they're meaning to serve. But considering this is such a focused attack on women and and those who cannot afford to circumvent these new laws, it's such it's such a stab against, you know, a certain class of people that, you know, even if you did vote in that circumstance, maybe it wouldn't have changed the decisions that the Supreme Court made. Do you think there's any place for that? Or is it another perhaps just kind of pipe dream? Because I, I do feel like that might have weight in ways that like, I don't know if this will break the camel's back. This will finally be the thing that pushes people to this. But uh, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure. I, I, I definitely think people are pissed. I definitely think that this is going to wake some people up. I definitely think that, and again, like uh, people are going to be m- more motivated to take on the GOP. You're seeing a lot of protests right now. Uh, I don't know if you're going to see a general strike over it though. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I don't, I don't see that. That might be the answer. A strike by women, a strike by people who can have babies. Maybe that would be the answer, but I don't know if there's the the organizational will to make that happen as of right now. Yeah. But 
people are pissed, 100%, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. I mean, I think we should talk a little bit about Canada here. I yeah, know yeah. Absolutely. We, 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 I gotta... One of the reasons we did, you know, is we want, we wanted that podcast to, to really focus in. But this really is, you know, a major issue. And because uh, so much of American politics influences Canada and because we share a, you know, world record border with this country, I think it's incredibly important that we like we, 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 we touch on that. But I think, you know, the the response to this in Canada Mm-hmm. has been very interesting. Mm-hmm. Some people have said that, you know, this is not a risk to choice in Canada, that things are fine. Uh, but others have noted, uh, in particular, I will say women of color, that this is not a, uh, abortion is not a safe uh, right in Canada. Mm-hmm. And there's even debates about whether or not abortion should be treated as a right in the first place, right? In Canada, there is no law on abortion per se, right? Mm -hmm. Like abortion is a procedure, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, I know it's incredibly political and for some people it's incredibly religious and it's social, you know, things like that. Like Nora Loretto, who we've had on the show and uh, is, you know, uh, an influential commentator. She said, uh, this was yesterday, uh, or actually th- this afternoon. Uh, abortion isn't "quote unquote" legal in the in Canada the same way heart surgery isn't legal. They are both medical procedures that you can either get or not get based on access, space, capacity, etc. You know the American framework is that you have like uh, you know abortion access to abortion is you know a right in a sense, not not strictly a right because of course if you don't have the money to pay for it or your state restricts it there's all these barriers but you know in the sense like the medical system can't ban it in canada abortions are treated as um as x-rays mm-hmm. or heart surgeries or mris right and i'm not trying to 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 be glib and downplay the fact that for a lot of people it's more complicated than that right and for yeah. a lot of people it's not seen like that nonetheless that's what it is from a legal perspective. Mm-hmm. And so some people in Canada want to codify the right to an abortion and others suggest that by doing so, you uh, just open up the door yeah. to block it. It becomes right? a, hot, a political hot potato. But as you're, you're mentioning, because it is something that could be considered more routine, the, the pitfalls that already exist in our medical system where the needed medicine for those who are underprivileged that are intentionally marginalized isn't given access to. And I, I think you sent me this a great thread from Kate McKenna of the CBC talking about how, like, even though it is under this decriminalized status and it is, like you said, just essentially another procedure, obviously it's much more complicated than that practically for a human being. But she points out that if a province, if a legislator wants to ban it, in Canada, they have the ability to do so yeah. without causing this sort of uproar and, and cited how in PEI it was essentially shadow banned yeah. until yeah. 
2016. There were no safe abortions provided there since the mid-80s. There was no written policy banning abortion. It simply wasn't offered, and you'd have to go off-island. And that essentially amounts to the same sort of thing, but it doesn't have you know that same sort of pizzazz that I think we're talking about of an actual outright ban. But the same issues that happen in this country, that happen in the United States, where people of color, people that are not of means, don't get access to medicine are even heightened when it comes to something that's so important and impactful as access to an abortion. So this idea, and I think you're right, we did see it from, you know, and to be fair, I think we should note this, a lot of, you know, white women in Canada saying that it's fine, we just need to support a lot of these Americans because it's so great here in Canada when, yeah, unfortunately, once again, women of color have to come in and just explain like, wait a second, no, this this isn't exactly what it is. You know, it's it's a little more complicated with that and it's really shitty for a lot of people. Um, yeah, beyond that, do you like what's your your take on the idea of this either becoming, you know, codified in the same sort of ways you're, you're touching on it there versus just given like if it's not codified, I guess, what is a way to ensure some of the actions that happen in PEI and in New Brunswick uh, don't continue? Well, I mean, a lot of it is like local activism, right? A yeah. lot of it is local activism um, and trying to achieve these results because, you know, it's difficult. And we should be clear that in New Brunswick and PEI, this was a bipartisan thing. New Brunswick and PEI are have been you know there there hasn't been a significant NDP presence uh PEI up until very recently of course with the emergence of the greens has almost always only ever elected a conservative uh progressive conservative and liberal uh members of their legislature but mm-hmm. you know in in many of these provinces there there wasn't really significant improvement on abortion access and right when um you know the liberals were in power you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah it's um, not a thing and so you know <laughs> My view is that you just have to invest in healthcare. Like, and I think going back to, to, to Nora's point, she says here, like in her follow-up, she says, just like with uh, assisted uh, medical assisted death, absence disturbances is the state's way of oppressing people. And it's worth mm-hmm. being clear. And so worrying about the MPs who are in the small minority of Canadians who want to make abortion illegal. And we should also be clear that... Uh, the Morgenthaler case from the 80s, you know, the, the the Henry Morgenthaler case, didn't necessarily legalize abortion, but it basically argued in a pretty strong court decision that it's illegal to m- criminalize abortion, mm-hmm. right? And so, the, you know, the courts, of course, in Canada could, could overturn that, but it seems unlikely. But the biggest threat to abortion access in Canada, therefore, is austerity and privatization. Justin Trudeau can be pro-choice until the cows come home, but if you don't have a local hospital that does abortions, what does it matter what he thinks? Mm-hmm. The reason why understanding abortion like this is absolutely critical is because it gives us clarity. It means that a pro-choice PM or premier can be just as much a threat to abortion services as Oosterhof or any other, you know, Kenny or mm. or any of the fucking ghouls in the conservative caucus, the vast majority of whom are anti-choice, at least to some degree, right? And this gets to the fact that in many cases right now, this is why some people have been mad at particularly a certain segment 
of of white women, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Erica, I, I, I feel, has said, like, for all you smug Canadians, abortion is not law here. It's not legal, but it's not illegal. It's basically decriminalized. There's no law in Canada giving the right to an abortion, which is the most Canadian thing ever. Um, you know, uh, abortion is, another uh, person notes here, abortion is decriminalized in Canada, but it's not equal or standard in terms of its access. The government of New Brunswick has been especially resistant to providing access, again, without ever having to ban it, let alone criminalize it, right? Yeah. Without ever having to do any of that. It's just the money, isn't it? Yeah. It just comes down to that. How many times well, do we talk well, about these big issues? Well, it's not just money, though, because it's yeah. not just money. Well, it, Investment, because again, I mean. Well, yeah, it's inve- but it's yeah. not even just that because you can effectively take the anti-choice position by simply not doing something. Mm, yeah, you can go to your conservative voters in your province, you know, evangelical Christians and maybe some other groups as well, and just not build the clinic. Yeah, maybe governments don't want to spend the money. Of course, like they they they, they don't want to spend the money, but they just won't build the clinic. They just won't provide the services at the hospitals. You know, and by doing that, you can effectively take the anti-choice position, which with with which while again, not banning a single woman's right to get an abortion on the you know constitutional grounds or legal grounds, and not criminalizing any individual abortion provider or um, you know person trying to get one. But you know, but like that's the and that's the reality where we are right now. Like mm-hmm. Joy Henderson here, somebody who I follow on Twitter. Uh, she says, if I hear one more white Canadian woman smugly say it won't come to this, we live in a country where indigenous women who live outside of three or four urban centers often have trouble accessing abortions while simultaneously living in a country where we are forcibly sterilized. And again, uh, indigenous women in, in much of Canadian history have been f- forcibly sterilized, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and even today, in recent years, there have been some cases, it's not necessarily widespread anymore, of indigenous women being sterilized in certain correctional facilities and health facilities and things like that. And so, again, often we talk about reproductive rights. We often focus on abortion, but we we ignore cases where women have had their fertility taken from them without their consent. Of course, that has happened to men in some cases too, but women are most often targeted. And we should also be clear that through most of Canada, there's basically no fucking clinics. Like, like this is a map here that I saw someone on Twitter share. I don't know if it's strictly up to date, but it says here, uh, in none of the territories are there uh, abortion clinics, dedicated abortion clinics. Mm. And there's only five in BC, two in Alberta, none in Man- uh, in Saskatchewan, two in uh, uh, Manitoba. Now, these places might offer abortions at a hospital, but, you know, it's, it's more rigmarole. Uh, only 11 in Ontario, 46 in Quebec. They're the only ones doing it right. Uh, one in New Brunswick, zero in PEI, one in Nova Scotia, one in Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Jeez, through me- yeah, and you know, that's ridiculous, right? Even, you know, PEI, if they ended up having one, maybe that would be reasonable. It's a very small province, very compact. You know, if you could help ensure women could get access to transit if they needed it, if they lived in a small town, maybe that would be feasible. But like, you know, uh, in Manitoba, that's not that's not that's it's unacceptable for Manitoba and Alberta. Those are giant land masses. That you know, two clinics is ridiculous. I'm assuming that there's probably one in Calgary and one in Edmonton. That's just an assumption. But like there are uh, there that doesn't cover most of the land, and there are still other cities 
that that you know that even if you just want to limit it to cities that don't have access in that sense and yeah. so this is a big deal and so a lot of people i think are saying that yes in canada we don't have a hyper politicized court we don't necessarily have a court that's willing to come down and and vote away abortion in one fell swoop i don't see the current supreme court voting for instance to even overturn morgenthaler you know the late 80s decision that effectively uh uh decriminalized abortion by making it uh by by saying you can't put abortion in the criminal code uh i don't see that changing but you don't need to change it you can be anti-choice and just treat it as a matter of healthcare allocations and like this is what i said like like you see like, like there was some good things the federal government said today and some things that are just fucking bullshit. One, conservatives are being ridiculous. Yeah. And they're like, they don't want them to talk about it because uh, Candace Bergen knows uh, this is going to piss off most Canadians and they don't want to have that talk. Michelle Rempel, to her credit, came out and took a pro-choice position. Didn't listen to her leader. Good for her. She's a ghoul <laughs> 95% of the time. She's right on this one. You know what I mean? She's right on this one. Um, Jagmeet, of course, he came out with a really good uh, a message, I think, where he made it loud and clear that access to abortion is a fundamental human right, standing in solidarities with Americans to uh, protect that right, and new Democrats will fight to preserve that here in Canada and whatnot. One, I, I think it was Carla Quantro, one of the liberal cabinet ministers, did say that women from the United States, if needed, could come to get an abortion in Canada. That's good to see. Mm-hmm. But... Like, Christia Freeland, a resident ghoul that she is, like, you know, Dale Smith, who is one of the jurisdiction mongers, said, Freeland gives a full-throated defense of a woman's right to choose, standing ovation except for the conservatives, most of whom sat silent. A couple conservative women MPs clapped fairly quietly, but that was it. And I said to that, but what will she do? And before people but jurisdiction me... (laughs) The Canada Health Act exists and provinces cannot operate without federal transfers. If they want to defend choice, they can force the provinces to expand access. Of course, he wasn't very happy to that. But Emmett McFarland, who is a uh, renowned uh, professor of of, of Canadian law and Canadian constitutions and and the courts, said, I'm not even sure. And in response to my tweet, I'm not even sure the feds are limited to punitive measures under the Canadian Health Act. I don't think there's anything stopping the feds from using the spending power they have to fund abortion clinics with federal grants. NB won't fund the federal clinic in Fredericton or won't fund the Fredericton clinic. Step in. So the liberals have the ability. They have the ability, if they so choose, to actually put the money where it is. And maybe that's the answer. Again, it's not the answer long term because, again, you could have a polyevra majority and polyevra is is um, not seen as the the most zealous anti-choice guy, but mm-hmm. he's definitely going to lead a caucus where the majority of the conservative MPs are going to be anti-choice to, to varying degrees, right? Um, and so, you know, it doesn't solve the, the solution necessarily, but it does put us in a position where the federal government can say, you know, uh, I am a pro-choice prime minister. Access to abortion is healthcare and a human right. Um, it is essential to a free society and a gender equal society. And so therefore, whether it's through carrots or through sticks, we will compel all provinces to provide better abortion services. And I'm not an expert on what that actually entails. And, you know, that, that's a question for the more, uh, the more wonky types, but like, that's something that Freeland and the federal government could do. She's literally finance minister. She could work with the health minister and say, look, 
We're going to amend the Health Canada, Canada Health Act. And again, the NDP would likely support this. They have the votes. I bet the bloc would probably support it as well, although that's more complicated because it could be seen as an imposition into provincial mm. rights. But fuck it. I don't care. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, you could come out and say provinces lose health care. They lose health care money if they don't have a minimum amount of abortion providers per capita, uh, both per capita and keeping uh, regional uh, diversity in mind, which is to say, you know, you can't just have three clinics all in Winnipeg. You need to have at least one of them in the North, let's say. And if you do that, that's enough. We'll give you your money. And if you need help with the money, we'll give it to you. But if you don't provide the abortion, we're going to punish you by taking away your money. We'll yeah. take away your transfers. Oh, Christo, it's just like... Uh, and if you're not uh, willing to do that, how pro-choice are you? Uh, like, there's a philosophy of pro-choice, right? And look, pretty much every liberal MP now is pro-choice. They've had some some anti-choice, a lot of anti-choice liberal MPs over history, right? A lot of them. Mm -hmm. But um, they, they've kind of weaved them out a little bit, right? You know, yeah, no, it's definitely changed. Like the, just the general culture of this issue yeah. in the yeah. last ten years has changed. But the most horrifying thing, I'm just, I'm listening to you, to you ply this out, and it just, it is so disillusioning in a way because it, it, it speaks to the ongoing crises that will continue to make Canada a worse place, but won't have the needed counter response of, you know, this great outrage and change. It'll be done more quietly, at least in the United States. The horrible ghouls are ones you can identify. But the fact that fucking Friedland got standing ovation for giving just lip service, when you look at the chart you just explained, that shows the misery that Canadian women have to go through all because you're not willing as a leader to make choices that will provide needed care, but you still get to profit from doing the most basic thing from saying that we're a great country. Aren't we great? Look at all the stuff we've did. And you leave all of that work to these smaller organizations when you are the fucking government and you are saying that you are an advocate for women and for change in this in this nation and that you will likely be another leader and you still yeah. don't give a fuck that it just doesn't matter because it's not in your fucking purview everything else yeah. is for organizations like action canada i don't know if you've seen them they're incredible they're the ones that are helping support a lot of these crisis pregnancy centers abortion rights canada is another great organization we're going to have links to all of that below in uh the show description here today but like if you are feeling like as a Canadian, you have things to be thankful for. I think you should really consider that the people who are your leaders are just as evil and just as ghoulish as those in the United States in some areas, but will smile at you and you have to congratulate them that they are standing up and and, yeah. and taking credit for this when it's just yeah. fucking hell. like it's just. Yeah. It's so upsetting. And we've seen this with um, uh, the climate crisis. We've seen this when it comes to unionization. Like we've seen these neoliberal politicians scream and shout that they are the change that is coming. Yet all of their actions that are within their purview, their fucking elected officials never once even gets close to the needed change to make life better. Like I get it. If, if Friedland just didn't want to say anything about this and didn't want to get the kudos and, and said, you know, it's, it's complicated. We're going to try our best, but instead they push and say, we are the change and we're great. And we're going to keep making this great. It's just, 
it's almost too much. It's too disgusting and too nauseating to to continue. Like, uh, just... Oh man. Anyways, those organizations are incredible. And if you have any opportunity to, and uh, you know, an option, please do support them because but like, it is the question though. Right. Cause it's like, oh. look, if the, the federal liberals can do something here, they can work with the provinces and, or they can punish the provinces. It doesn't matter. Like, like, like people want says, this. People you, want this. <laughs> you need to be materially pro-choice, like for individual human beings, like me and you and everybody else. Pro being pro-choice is about like your belief, right? Yeah. And yeah, and, and more so, and you can volunteer at a clinic or you can donate to uh, groups that help people get the healthcare they need and these critical interviews. You could do all of that, but like you could just be pro-choice or be anti-choice or what have you. But like, if you have the means politically, like Nora said, and like others have said, you know, you can effectively be a barrier to choice through your inaction. Yeah. Like, I don't think Christia Freeland would ever pass a law banning abortion. I don't think one that's politically that's not that's not in her interest. I don't think she believes in that. But it's like it's one of those things where, like, you know, the federal government should be working on a package right now. Yeah. To try and find a way to shore these things up. It would be a, a huge win. Yeah. Everyone yeah. would laud her as doing, being the actual change. It would get, like you said, the NDP would support it. And I think it would mint her as our next prime minister. She's finance minister. She can really be the yeah. face of this. Yeah, maybe that and is look, happening, should, but why the fuck not? we should say, to be fair, like, 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 like let's see, because like, who knows? It because could be happening. This news right. broke. They, this leak, this leak broke like none, none of us 24 hours ago, a little yeah. bit less than that now. Uh, well, you, you might, you might listen to this tonight or tomorrow morning for the listeners, but like, it's basically been about 24 hours since the leak That's happened. A good point. Yeah. So like, you know, if, if this is a new spur of the moment thing, then maybe it'll take time. But you know, for a long time in Canada, it's been very clear that in many places, uh, in entire provinces, but probably in a lot of areas within other provinces, uh, women have not had meaningful access to choice. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's on the provincial government, certainly like hold your provincial governments accountable, but the federal government has the ability to flex some muscle. And if they're not doing it, then they are their, their credibility as being quote unquote pro choice yeah. is suspect. That's my absolutely. That's, that's, yeah, absolutely. And, and back to the and just to put a bow on this, we got a little more time. So we do want to talk and, you know, we got an election coming here in this province. So we do want to talk about that. But it feeds into the the narrative that I think a lot of people listening to our voice right now are feeling of, you know, what is the point to vote? This indecision that's leading to misery feeds that disillusionment that guarantees that misery continues. So if there isn't as, you know, practical or impractical how, how big the changes really are, if you do vote and this bad stuff can still happen, if you don't because of this, there is a guarantee that it will continue. It's almost designed in that way because there is no pressure to push that. Maybe we will see a change here. I'm not as hopeful, but you know, I, at least we are seeing, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Christo, the NDP are saying a lot of the correct things here, saying that we need to have more access, making it not just, you know, we're a great country and we're going to keep being great, but that change needs to happen. And I think with the news that's breaking in this, you know, the, the elections that are coming, I think that's a really good place for the NDP to uh, be in. Anything else before we move on to something a, a little less deeply upsetting? 
No, I think we're good. I think I think this is this is a big issue. But I mean, like even still, like in some of these provinces, and like I don't know, has, has John Horgan meaningfully done yeah. anything to That's expand abortion rights? Like I don't know. Like I don't yeah. know. Actually, I honestly like this is all this news broke very quickly for us. I don't know. But like it should be asked. Even like in this Ontario election, all leaders should be asked. What their view is, one, personally, of course, but then two, like, what are they going to actually do to help women get the abortions they need, right? Yeah. Like, like, simple as that. What are you going to do to help women get the health care they need, right? Uh, yeah. In this province, maybe the access issues aren't quite as severe as they are in New Brunswick or PEI, but they could be bad in, in certain parts of the province. What are you going to do to get that, right? Like, one thing the NDP, and this is not strictly abortion, but it's part of the general healthcare process because, you know, there are breakdowns in the system. One of the things the NDP wants to do is to make uh, contraception, uh, you know, uh, covered under OHIP, right? Mm -hmm. Even before, you know, they want pharmacare, of course, but even before that, to, to prioritize contraception as basically being publicly funded. And, you know, that is one of the things that, you know, can help address this issue down the line. But of course, it's not enough. Yeah. Alrighty. So let's talk Ontario election. By the time you're hearing this, likely we will be in the official election. Everyone's very, very excited. Yeah, I and think the it was official just a few hours ago. Actually, okay, so we might be yeah, in it right now. Um, yeah. So what do you think about the almost meme-like Ontario Liberal promise of the buck-a-ride transit fares until 2024 so you haven't heard this it was a initial promise made by Stephen del duca in uh, his big full speech saying they will slash transit fares to one buck a ride across the province until 2024 it's going to january all... 2024 oh, okay, so really yeah. 2023 but yeah one yeah. yeah so a year a year and a half and of course yeah. the buck a ride is invoking the the buck a beer uh, promise that was made by Ford that kind of also was ineffectual because beer at that time I think was like a buck 25 and then they did the math on it afterwards and then it still wasn't even a buck of beer so I, what do you think about this it has gotten a lot of headlines it's made people think like oh that's who Steve that's who the new liberal leader is like it definitely is um, penetrating I think the news cycle in ways I didn't think it would but to me it just seems like incredibly cynical Oh, it's very cynical. Uh, yeah. One, because again, the, the timing on it is, is that it's not an ongoing thing. Uh, people, rightfully so, uh, people who depend on transit. I mean, I work from home and w even when I didn't, I walked pretty much uh, most places. But, you know, if you depend on transit, you know, transit can run you, th you know, well over thousands of dollars a Absolutely. year in some communities, right? Like it's expensive uh, and you rely on it a lot. And if you can basically be told you get a buck a ride or uh, a flat, a much lower monthly rate on your transit, um, you know, you might be more likely to use transit. But this is for people that are already using it. This is a significant saving in your life. So I understand why some people are excited by it. I definitely think it's kind of cheeky. Like it's kind of a fun little play on, if I'm being perfectly honest on like buck a beer, mm -hmm. it's like a buck of something, but that like actually at least hypothetically uh, serves a social purpose. Right. Yeah. That's a good um, one. It's a better gimmick in that sense than the buck of beer or remember, uh, we, we, we tore it to shreds. There are no tools, like no GST oh, like, yeah. in December. <laughs> like, remember like the like, no, no tax sales in December. Tax. Yeah. No. Yeah. No sales tax, but only like, 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 like he's running like a, a department store and he's yeah. putting a commercial on local TV. <laughs> like I pay the tax this month. Yeah. I'm crazy Aaron and I run no tools shop. 
real Mike know, Harris like, vibes. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Like, you know what I mean though. Like that's like yeah. you know, I, like ridiculous. So the Del Duca one is better than that. But it should be said that like if you actually count out the money that's being spent here, it doesn't actually compare to what the ONDP is promising, which is basically to restore a lot of the lost funding and increase it to basically have the provincial government fund like all of like municipal transit and things like that. Uh, and so the ONDP plan has more longevity, likely helps to deal with the actual transit needs of Ontarians in like the longer term and helps municipalities provide that transit. Because one of the issues isn't just the cost of transit. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that even if you can afford transit, it doesn't get you to where you need to go quickly or frequently and in some cases at all. Right. And so yeah, that's not being translated, though, I feel like I feel like that messaging no. from the NDP has exactly. not come out. And that's right? the thing. This buck a ride thing. I don't think it's going to necessarily make a difference, but it's a good example of how maybe it's not even bad policy because it could look, why not do both? Why not fund transit and yeah, why not help fund people? individual? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like why not do both? Right. But like, it's not necessarily bad policy per se, but it's ineffectual policy. If your goal is to build like a sustainable transit system, given that in addition to everything, it's, it's a temporary thing. It's mm -hmm. not like Del Duca is saying so long as we're in power, it's a buck a ride, which will increase ridership and, and all of that. And maybe will help spur, um, better reforms right? yeah no like, it does knows? seem like a good idea i took transit yeah. when i was in toronto for yeah. a decade i took it almost every single day and it, yeah. there is a huge cost a lot of that. people are going to save money because of this yeah. right a lot of people are going to save money because of this so mm -hmm. that's good you know? all right so beyond that so it is it is good but, but, no, but it, it but has I the think, cynicism yeah. but like i think it's an example of like marketing in policy really matters mm. like timing matters marketing matters and so does the, the narrative right yeah. and the narrative of this policy is way easier to sell you're playing on the buck of beer thing which everyone remembers from the last election and most non-conservative voters thought was stupid and so you're kind of going off of this little joke and you're saying it's buck of beer but actually meaningful and it's simple, you know, mm -hmm. it's a buck a ride, you know, and he doesn't say, you know, they don't lie, but he just says a buck a ride, right? Yeah. He doesn't say it's only till 2024. <laughs> he doesn't say that, you know, you're basically going to be stuck back paying the expensive prices in a year and a half. It's pretty much you know, a Ford and, did, yeah. just something yeah. more practical, yeah. right? You know, you know what I mean? Like, and, and so doesn't say that, but everyone's talking about buck a ride, yeah. right? And then people can, in their mind, say to themselves, okay. I pay this much on transit with this policy. I will save X per month, meaning I could save the X hundreds or maybe even like, I don't know, like, you know, uh, however much uh, a year, mm -hmm. like, the, and, and, and add my wife into that or my husband or my children or my, you know, all of that into that. We could save a significant amount of money as a family, right? People will do that calculation. Um, and I think that the ONDP plan uh, hasn't been sold like that. Right. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, we're going to improve transit, but there's no necessary connection between a voter and saying how this policy is going to help me in the pocketbook. And this isn't necessarily me saying that every single good policy has to have a, you know, this is exactly how much money this person will benefit from the policy type thing. Like mm -hmm. that's not necessary, uh, you know, in all cases. But it is to say, I suppose, that it's something you need to consider. Like yeah. It's something that a good policy needs to consider. This goes back to what we talked about uh, in the federal election, where the ONDP 
or the federal NDP had this student loan cancellation policy. Now, there was oh. nothing to compare it to because mm -hmm. the liberals weren't offering anything similar or, the, or anything like that. But, you know, everyone got excited when Singh's like, we're going to cancel, what, 10,000 or 20,000 of student loan debt. It was really good. But then it was like, but we're only going to do it in certain cases after so many years if the household income is under blah, blah, blah. And it was like, it was all these fucking caveats. And so instantly people are like, does this apply to me? It either doesn't, but maybe it does, but they don't know if it does. Mm. You know, can I even get excited about this? Right. Where in some ways it would almost be better to pick a smaller amount and just say for everyone. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just From like a everybody. Because yeah. then people, because this buck ride gets people can 10, understand. Yeah. You go, yeah. you start the election and Singh is like an NDP government will cancel $10,000 of student loan debt, publicly held student loan debt for every single student, no matter what, no matter where, nothing, no, like no caveats. Yeah, that 10K seems much better. for every single one. And yeah, you're going to have some people say, well, what about the doctors who are getting $10,000? What about the rich kids? Blah, blah, blah. Like all of that is like one, it's often disingenuous. But yeah. insofar as you can, it is genuine in some cases, you could say, well, look, everyone gets a benefit for the people that have small amounts of loans. You know, you know, it, it'll wipe them out entirely. Um, you know, it, for, for, for people that are, you know, going to law and medical school, yeah, they'll get a benefit from it, but they might have $200,000 of debt. So comparatively, this is only a small portion of their debt, you know, um, and you know, the NDP, yes, we understand that not, not, I don't know how many rich people actually have publicly held loans, but like, <laughs> we understand that maybe upper middle class people might benefit from this and they don't necessarily need it. But the Ontario NDP is raising taxes on people who make above a hundred thousand dollars a year. So maybe it'll even out in the end, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, like the, these are things like, like the NDP needs to get better at the marketing of the policies, right? Like yeah. you need some policies that are just like, we're going to give you money. We're going to yeah. give you money. Like that's the, we're going to give you voter money, money, voter, <laughs> wallet, voter, money in your wallet. Yeah. Like they well, need to do that. They I, need to do that. Absolutely. And I think this ties into, cause we are running a little late here. Uh, we do have one question. And again, if you want yeah. to uh, have a question, please join our discord. Uh, Patreon.com slash left turn Canada as little as a buck a month. And you can join in a lot of great folks there. This is from Jambalaya who wants to laud us actually for doing polls. I remember last week we, you were defending a little bit the need for polls. So he's like, no, yeah. keep the polls coming, but very upset. His basic question is, why does it seem like the ONDP is polling so badly? They are often even consistently behind the liberals. Do you have any theories this early on? Is it possible it's just people going back to status quo voting? Or is it liberals pushing strategic voting? You know, what do you think? So starting us off, Christo, what do the polls say? Yeah, I mean, like in general right now, there, there is does seem to be a gap growing between the liberals and the NDP. I think if I just look here at the most recent average from, say, 338, they just put something out a few minutes ago, I believe. Oh, wow. And what this shows is that the liberals are, uh, yeah, the liberals here are uh, ahead of the ND Ontario NDP. It basically, the average on their poll is that the conservatives are uh, at 37 the uh, Liberals at 29, the NDP at 24. Uh, the margin of error on all four, three are, is plus or minus four. So hypothetically, the NDP could be ahead of the Liberals if the margins are off. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what it's showing. Uh, but it is predicting effectively a, a tie between the, the Liberals and the NDP in terms of seats, 
with the Liberals getting 25 and the NDP 24 and the Greens 1. Um, and so it would be a conservative majority. And, and, and basically, they would I think they would pick up, they would net one seat or be down one seat. They'd basically lose nothing in terms of their seat support. So right now, it's, it's very clear that uh, things have sort of bettered for the Liberals, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's a mixture of uh, people going back to who they supported uh, in the last election. It could be a mixture of, of you know, I vote liberal federally. I'm going to vote liberal provincially. It's not policy. Uh, it, There's no way yeah, it's it, policy. Well, I don't think it's policy yeah. either. No, I think, and it could also be a perception that, you know, uh, whether or not the liberal, because this does show that at least at this level, the liberal vote is far less efficient than the NDP. Maybe mm. people think, well, the NDP couldn't win last time, but maybe the liberals can, like that could be it as well. But right now, it does seem like the liberals have, you know, a, a lead over the NDP, but the election hasn't really started yet. And I almost wonder uh, if most voters are paying attention, right? Yeah. Like the, 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 there, there hasn't been like a real deal debate yet. There's been a couple, but Ford hasn't been at them. Uh, you know, there hasn't been that real deal debate where like Del Duca and Ford and Horwath and Shriner as well are all going to be on the stage together having like, you know, an actual debate. And if we remember the last election, uh, the polls didn't really start to move until that first debate. Mm -hmm. But it, it does look like to some degree, uh, the liberals have gotten back some of their voters that they lost to the NDP, but it doesn't look like they got any of the voters back or most of the voters back. They lost to Ford in 2018, because if you recall, we've talked about this, um, the reason Ford won in many ways was that he was able to pull NDP uh, liberal votes. The liberals lost basically like like over half their support effectively, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so they uh, lost a, half their support to the NDP effectively and half their support to the conservatives. Yeah. Um, and it looks like a lot of the liberals that went conservative in 2018 are staying and a lot of the liberals that went NDP are going back. And that looks to be why the liberals have gotten back in the second, but it's still a very distant second in vote and seat. Man, it does it does worry me that as soon as we have a polling like this, it just pushes these forces more to the sides that it was, you know, pre-election because it gives people kind of an excuse to to vote liberal again. You know, they don't need to support the NDP. Maybe they switched last election be uh, because of Ford. All of this just to say, you know, does that split still make a an agreement or a coalition government seem? You know, impossible is it just are the numbers not bearing out at this point in time? Because really, we're just it's just divination at this point. No one's really saying anything. The election hasn't started in earnest. But from what you're seeing right now is that one last hope of stopping Ford, which I think a lot of, you know, generally progressive people are would be willing to accept this time in ways that they haven't in other elections of a coalition or, you know, agreement government. Does that seem possible with what you're seeing so far? Well, right now, no, because they, right now, they don't no, have okay. enough. They don't have enough seats, right? Yeah. Like, they don't have enough seats. Like they wouldn't even really be close. They would. They would need to, you know, to pull about, I think, ten or so seats from the conservatives just to get them under a majority. And then you have to deal with the fact that if the conservatives are only one seat off a majority, is it feasible to build a coalition like where, like, you, you know, you would you would basically need every vote plus you would need to get the green to be the speaker or something like something mm. ridiculous like that. Like that might not be feasible. Whereas let's say we're in a scenario where the conservatives are 15 seats 
10 seats short of a majority, the liberals and the NDP could comfortably form a government and pick a speaker and do all of that stuff. Mm. Interesting. So we don't the reasoning for all this is is definitely not clear or something that we can divine at this point. The hope is once uh, any sort of debate happens, you know, do you think from what you even said earlier that Horvath will have a little more of those meaningfully communicated big moves? My one hope is that maybe the initial push by the UNDP of uh, health care reform of, you know, really having mental health care available uh, I, that had a little bit of, uh, you know, the neoliberal fuckery in it a bit. But do you think that maybe that will be the big push and, you know, she'll be able to communicate that as succinctly as the buck a ride was? Well, it won't be like buck a ride, of course, because like yeah. that's it's a different type of policy. But I do think it's a good policy book. You know, there's always the debate that did they release all the big things too early uh, or by releasing it early? Did you sort of prime the pump to have a good campaign? We can't answer that yet. One thing is that the Ontario NDP is in a better financial position than they were in the last election. The last election, the Ontario NDP did raise a lot of money uh, during the campaign, of course, because they, you know, they were they were doing really well and, and, and people started supporting them. But in the last little bit, they, they didn't have as much money as they needed to kind of put that final ad push. They are still in a better position, at least at the pro- province wide level over the liberals. And you wonder if that will help them uh, in terms of getting ad pushes out. That'll be interesting hmm. to see. That was one of the things that hurt them in the last couple of weeks of the last yeah, election. I remember that, yeah. Um, and Ford and the Conservatives had plenty of money and they were able to kind of win that battle. So we'll see what happens with that. But as of right now, unless, I mean, unless something really changes, it's going to be hard. It's going to mm-hmm. be really hard to see anyone stopping Ford. Because again, even if we go back to 2014 status quo with the NDP voters and the Liberal voters, the reality is if Ford can keep the Liberal voters he got in 2014, um, the, it's going to be really hard for him to be beaten. The only thing would be like a, a big increase in turnout. You know, mm-hmm. like, a, like a bunch of new voters that, you know, the, the Ford can keep all of his uh, ex-Liberal voters. If the Liberals of the NDP can drive turnout, then that changes things, of course. But like... That's what we're looking at right now. It's going to be really mm-hmm. hard to stop Ford unless, uh, uh, you know, he starts to meaningfully lose some of that vote uh, to get him not in the, the high 30s, but get him into the mid 30s and low 30s, where he likely wins a plurality of seats, but, you know, could hypothetically uh, be hit with a coalition or some kind of deal mm-hmm. to stop him. But I think both parties are downplaying that right now. One, because it might it might mobilize conservatives. You yeah, know, because like, yeah. You, you know, you, you, a minority isn't good enough. We need a majority. Um, and also, it, it, you know, the party that blinks first on making a deal sort of says we can't win on our own type thing. But I do think it's possible we'll see a deal after. We've talked about this, yeah. but um, I think Del Duca is not likely to make a deal with Horwath if Horwath is in second. Like we have a hypothetical scenario where Ford wins a, a minority amount of seats. Uh, and then the NDP is in second and the liberals is, are, are in third and they can, you know, if they combine, have enough seats to govern. I don't know if Del Duca will do that. He won't make a deal with Ford, of course. I don't think he'll do that. But he might just let Ford govern, hoping that, you know, there'll be an election within a year or so, year and a half, and then he can have another crack at it or the next liberal leader can. But I think if the liberals finish second, there is a chance there might be a, a deal, uh, you know, and there might the deal could have even better things in some ways than the... Um, the federal one we got yeah. uh, because it, it would be the predicate of the government. You know, Trudeau was mm-hmm. already in power when Singh made a deal with him. 
uh, and he had been for a while, and it didn't look like the conservatives. The conservatives don't even have a, a current leader right now, right? Like they're not conservatives are not going to pull the government down now. They're going to yeah. at least wait until they they elect their new leader, of course. Um, you know, uh, but fundamentally, I I do think that um, a deal could be done, and if it is done, um, maybe it'll be good because like Del Duca in that in that hypothetical scenario would not just you know be making a deal to stabilize his government, which is what Trudeau did, but he would need Horwath to govern. It's mm-hmm. either you give the NDP what they want on a crucial key front, or you don't get to be premier. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, which is a different incentive than Trudeau, which is like, okay, I either have a really strong minority for the next couple of years, or I give the NDP a little and I have a, a you know, effectively not a majority government, but I have effectively a, a, a guaranteed four year minority, mm-hmm. you know, and you could see that, the, the deal, the price is different in that case. Yeah, no, and I do think people are more open to this actual change uh, than they may have ever been before. So I, I think we'll we'll end it there, folks. Just a quick look at what that deft politician, the, the 4D chess man himself, Doug Ford, the man who cannot be beaten no matter how many old people he kills with COVID. What was he doing this week? Well, he was wishing Sikhs a very yeah. happy or six, a very happy Eid Mubarak, which as we know, that's not, it's not, their, yeah, it's not a thing for them. That's no. not their, their religious no. holiday. That, that's not the no. same thing. So great no. job, Dougie. You've done it again. Yeah. Uh, if you want to support pandering, quality pandering, if you want to support any of the institutions we mentioned today, again, action Canada is very, very good in abortion rights, Canada and anything else like that. It's, it's very needed now more than ever and uh, yeah stay safe out there and we'll have more election coverage in the next few weeks